I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into Best on the Board here at The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. Michael Beller and Casey Joyner here with you to talk through our week three best bet. Casey, it was a rough week for us in week two, but uh, we'll talk through that in a second here. How you doing getting into this uh, week three after kicking off last night with the Panthers taking care of business against the Texans? Yeah, except for Christian McCaffrey, uh, fantasy owners were pulling their hair out. (laughs) why you always i tell fantasy owners when you've got those special those great backs you have to handcuff them you don't have a choice the percentages are so much in your favor think of last year with mike davis this year if you right. didn't have chuba hubbard you know you're, you're struggling going forward if that's an injury that keeps it comes up again yeah we'll see uh, we'll see how that ends up working out chuba hubbard looked you know decent enough in that emergency duty he was thrust into royce freeman could be involved for the Panthers as well. But that's uh, that's a topic that we'll tackle on the Monday edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. You and I, Casey, we are here to get into week three best bets. We have to look back. We do it every week. We keep everything open, transparent. We want you to know exactly where we stand. And where we stand was relatively ugly a week ago, KC. You went 0-3, I will say, very close. You had the Rams minus 3.5. They won by 3. You had Aaron Jones going over 68.5 rushing yards. 67 rushing yards and the impact I mean that was just sort of fluky like with what he did in the receiving game and scoring four touchdowns I think your process was right on with Aaron Jones he just happened to do a little bit more of his damage in the passing game than we were expecting in the running game but gotta feel at least good about that right yeah, that's the thing. I remember uh, it's something uh, doing the fantasy world, something to do the gaming world, that you do trust mm-hmm. the process. And that process sometimes is going to stumble on occasion, but you do trust yep. the process. And over the long haul, I always tell people, you don't think about this in the one-week term. You're thinking about this in right, a longer right. longer sense. And mm-hmm. as we get more evidence in the season, that's when you're going to get even better picks because now you've got a lot more evidence to back the thing. So just, a, one, just a one-week road bump. Exactly. We are definitely uh, Sam Hinkie fans here on Best on the Board. <laughs> One and two for me. My win coming on the Titans plus six, and they went out right. Jonathan Taylor falling short of the receiving yard mark I had him at. Like the Cardinals, minus three and a half against the Vikings. They win, but do not cover the spread. So we're both sitting at two and four on the season. Let's turn that around here, KC, in week three. Three picks apiece. Give us your first pick for week three weekend ahead of us. My first pick would be, let's just um, I'll go with uh, Vegas and Miami then. Uh, it's Miami at Vegas. And here's the thing. Derek Carr, he leads the league in pass attempts at passing yards. He's going to be playing mm-hmm. this week. He had the ankle injury, but he is going to be able to play. Mm-hmm. What's amazing for this is everybody thinks of him as a dink and dunk passer. This year he ranks fifth in vertical pass attempt. They're going vertical. Teams are playing zone against the Raiders more than any other team in the league. He's destroying those coverages. But if you play man coverage against them, which the Dolphins may try and do, 
He's averaging 10.9 yards per attempt per True Media Pro Football Focus. That's fourth best in the league. It's incredible. Yep. So he put that up against the Ravens and the Steelers. Now he's got Miami. Okay, it's a tough defense. But look, he did it against two really good defenses. He also had Tua. Or the Dolphins are missing Tua. They're going to have Jacoby Brissett. They're facing a Raiders defense to ranks fifth in pass pressure rate, despite having the lowest blitz rate in the league by far. They're just doing it with standard pass rush. They're not even bringing any extras. Combine it with it being a cross-country road trip for Miami. They're going to face that rowdy Las Vegas crowd. I just, there's so many things in favor of the Raiders in this one. I think minus four is a bargain for them. Yeah, am I crazy for thinking that this should be like five and a half or six? Like four just feels way too low. With I mean, the Raiders have wins over the Ravens and the Steelers this year, and the Steelers have plenty of offensive question marks, but no one's questioning their defense. And TJ Watt got hurt in that game, but he played the bulk of it. I mean, there's just, I feel like this should be at least a point and a half or two points higher than the four. Yeah, and again, Tua's gone. I mean, you got Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. He looked terrible last week. And, and the Raiders, I think people, again, are they're underrating their defense where it's this is not it's not you know, a great Raiders defense. You lead a league of pass pressure rate. It's two games, and you did it against, again, the Steelers. We know they can pass block, and the Ravens are pass blocking too. So I just, And again, it's a cross-country road trip, and you've got Jacoby mm-hmm. playing in his first game with them. I just keep looking at that going, I have a lot of I have I have seen very few paths to victory for this one in Miami and if they're gonna lose, I think it's gonna be I would be surprised to see Raiders like you said. I think I would be surprised to see him win by a touchdown, but I think minus four is is, is well easy money, I think. Yeah, the um our Vegas Raiders beat writer, uh Vic Tafer is with you on that that uh being slept on this defense a little bit nationwide, and it's understandable with the defense they've played in recent years and with what Derek Carr is doing, but it's a group that's better than we've become accustomed to in the John Gruden Part 2 era with the Raiders, and so maybe we get a little bit more eye-opening for that Raiders defense this week. For my first pick, KC, I am going to one of the many marquee games we have on the schedule. Packers and 49ers on Sunday night, Chiefs and Chargers on the slate, and then Rams and Buccaneers, and that's where I'm going with my first pick. Rams are one-point underdogs at home in this game, and I like the Rams in this spot, KC. And I'm just going to focus on one particular element of this game that I like a lot. We've heard this so many times over the last couple of years. If you want to slow down Tom Brady, if you want to slow down the Buccaneers passing game, You put pressure up in his face, ideally up the middle, right? And it's become one of those things that, like, you say to sound smart about football, right? It just sort of automatically imbues you with this know-how when it comes to breaking down X's and O's. But it's also true. We got to this point because it's true. And you go back to last year when these two teams met, one of Tom Brady's worst games of the season because the Rams were able to bring consistent pressure right in his face, up the middle, make him uncomfortable, and throw off everything that the Buccaneers want to do down the field. So I think this is a uniquely bad matchup for the Buccaneers and Tom Brady insofar as a matchup can be bad for this offense. I'm not saying the Rams are going to hold them to 13 or 17 points and win this game. I still think you need to get up into the mid-20s, score 24, score 27. That's where you need to get to win this game. But I think the Rams can do that on their side of the ball and then slow the Buccaneers down to the extent that they do end up winning this game 27 to 24 or 24 to 21 or 24 to 23, whatever the case might be. No Antonio Brown, most likely for the Buccaneers. That isn't guaranteed just yet, but he is on the COVID-19 list. Just with the protocols, it seems like it's going to be hard for him to check all the boxes he needs to check to get cleared to play this game on Sunday. And he's been a key part of that offense. You take him 
off the board for Bruce Arians, and things are going to change. They, of course, have the reinforcements to make up for that, but it still is a change for this offense and a loss for this offense against a very strong defense that I think it'll be hard for them to weather. This is also their first road trip of this season. They've been at home since you know the middle of August, whenever their last preseason game was. They haven't left Tampa since then. So I just think all these things add up. And then, oh yeah, that Rams team, Pretty darn good in its own right. I hope Daryl Henderson plays for the sake of this bet, but I think they can uh, paper over that loss if he is unable to go. So I really like the Rams here. I, just, I think they should be favored. I think they should be minus one or minus one and a half. I wouldn't expect them to get up to the default minus three when we have two evenly matched teams. You just throw a minus three on the home team and let it be. I understand why they're not getting that level of respect, but it feels to me like they should be the favorite in this game by a point and a half or so. So I really like them catching a point in this one. I can't understand why people – we talked about the Raiders' defense being underrated. The Bucks are great on run defense, but their pass defense – I mean, they lost Sean Murphy bunting in week one, mm-hmm. and they just – they've not looked that good. Atlanta couldn't get a thing done against Philadelphia in week one, and last week they looked a lot better. Yeah. It's one of those things where – and now you're facing the Rams. I don't think they're going to – I agree with you that I think the Rams should be a slight favorite in this one because of those factors and because, again, this Bucks defense, I think they'll be great to, as the season goes along and they're good, mm-hmm. still good against the run, but I think their, their secondary has – they've got some coverage problems back there. Yeah, you look at the final score of that game and it seems like the Buccaneers won it going away, but a couple of pick sixes late in that game, that was a three-point game halfway through the third quarter. It was 28-25, and that was a game where the the Falcons fought back and you know Matt Ryan looked really good after halftime. I mean, that was a, a game that was definitely in the balance before those pick sixes for the Buccaneers. So you can throw on this Buccaneers team right now, and we've seen what Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford have been able to do together in their first two games this season. Really do like the Rams in this spot. I think they now obviously plus one if I'm backing them I think it's going to be a game that the Rams win outright let's move on over to the Browns and the Bears the uh, big quarterback news in this game of course is that Justin Fields is getting his first career start in Cleveland so he gets to make that uh, start in front of a lot of people who were cheering for him a year ago when he was at Ohio State and now we'll be cheering against him at least on Sunday I think he's probably got a lot of people who in neutral situations are still going to be uh, pulling for him it's the quarterback on the other side of this game that you want to talk about though yeah it's baker mayfield excuse me over 243 and a half passing yards uh mayfield has 321 passing yards in week one 213 yards in week two he's averaged over 10 yards per attempt at both contests so he beat this number week one came very close in week two the bears they rank dead last in vertical yards per attempt allowed that's yards per attempt allowed on passes throwing 11 or more yards downfield opposing passers are 10 for 13 for 295 yards three tds and no interceptions on vertical passes they're crushing chicago now, Browns lost Jarvis Landry for this matchup. They might get OBJ back, but Landry's only got six catches for 80 yards anyway, so it's not like he's the centerpiece of that offense. He's not driving that passing game. They, they've got people I think who could fill in his place. And you also add in Cleveland ranks 27th on their defensive side of the ball in vertical yards per attempt, which means I think there's going to be a lot of passes going both ways. And mm-hmm. I, I, add, I add all of that to that factor. And, again, that bare secondary just looks terrible. I just think that, that Mayfield's going to have to throw the ball enough to be able to get over 243 and a half. Yeah, it does sound like OBJ is going to be back out there for the Browns this week. So you like that, certainly, for Baker Mayfield. And it, the Bears secondary has been a problem. you got Jalen Johnson, who you can trust, and then really not a whole lot else. You know that they are probably looking at some of those contracts, uh, Tariq Cohen and Jimmy Graham, and saying, man, really wish we had some of that money lying around for Kyle Fuller and he didn't have to be a cap casualty going off to Denver because they could certainly use a corner like him opposite 
Jalen Johnson. Um, I guess the one spot where I would push back would be because of you know, Justin Fields starting, maybe the Bears, we see something a little bit conservative out of them. We know Fields is going to have way more run options in the uh, game plan than we would ever see with Andy Dalton. And then on Cleveland's side of the ball, they always want to run it. They always want to do that with Nick Chubb and with uh, Kareem Hunt. And uh, going up against a Bears front that could be without Eddie Goldman yet again could be a vulnerable front against that Browns uh, rushing attack. So I suppose minimal concern for you there that this is a game that's dominated by both teams rushing attacks. I, I would. The thing that gets me is that Bears defense ranking that badly in your vertical yards per attempt. I just don't think the Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski is going to, he's going to let that go unchallenged. And again, if you just hit a couple of big passes, if you get a couple, you know, if you get you know, a couple 30, 40 yard passes, I think a ten, he's averaging 10 yards per attempt. You get a couple of big passes, suddenly now he only needs 160 yards on the other passes. And they'll throw the ball enough to get there. I just think he's going to be able to hit at least one big pass. And if OBJ's back and can play, mm-hmm. if he's just even enough in coverage to, to you know, and make the Chicago. Uh, Cover him, make make Chicago at least recognize he's yeah. there and say pay okay, a lot of attention to, to him. Yeah, pay a lot of attention to him. If they if he's there and he can do that, that adds to the mix as well. So I just think though that they're going to be able to hit enough long passes because when I see a, a when I see a defense played this badly, it just a coach is not going to let that go unchallenged if he can mm-hmm. help it. And, and with Baker Mayfield throwing, is when you're averaging ten yards per attempt, you're hitting vertical passes too. I just think they're not going to let it go unchallenged. So. Van Jefferson, a 74-yard touchdown against this Bears team in week one. Jamar Chase, a 44-yard touchdown against this Bears team in week two. You absolutely can attack this team deep with dynamic receivers. OBJ certainly fits that bill. I'm going to pull us back to one of the marquee games. It is Chargers. It is Chiefs. It is at Arrowhead. It has an over-under of 55, and I think the Chargers live up to their end of the billing in this one. Give me over 23.5 points for the Chargers in this game, KC. Fourth in the NFL in yards. 26th in the NFL in scoring are these Los Angeles Chargers, and it all comes down to the fact that they have been bad in the red zone. 10 red zone possessions for the Chargers this year. That's tied for first in the NFL with the Buccaneers. They've turned those 10 possessions into three touchdowns. They have two turnovers in the red zone and three touchdowns. For comparison's sake, the Buccaneers, seven touchdowns on their 10 trips inside their opponent's 20. And those turnovers, very fluky. One of them was a Justin Herbert interception last week where uh, Keenan Allen fell down after the ball was already on its way to him. Another one was a sack fumble that Probably should have been ruled an incomplete pass in week one, and this one tumbles out of the end zone and ends up being a touchback for Washington. So not only turnovers, but fluky turnovers in the red zone. The Chargers are really doing everything you want to see from an offense. They are moving the ball. They are moving the ball efficiently. You look around and you see big statistical production from uh, Mike Williams already this season and Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert doing his thing in year two. It's just they're not finishing things off when they get in scoring range. I think that changes for them this week. And John Harbaugh showed us, showed us all a week ago that when you play the Chiefs, and you know what, frankly, Kevin Stefanski showed us this in week one also. When you go against the Chiefs, you have to go and win with the mindset, we need 30 to win. We're not holding this team to 24 points. We need to go in and we need to score 30. And if we score 30, then we give ourselves a chance. And so I bet Brandon Staley is going to take that lesson well and be aggressive in this game when his team has the ball. And I just think you add all that up, you stack all that up, you stack up the fact that this team has frankly just been better than 23 and a half points. They've they've, uh, been able to pile up those yards, that they're going to have that aggressive mindset, that they can keep up with what Kansas City does offensively. And that this over-under sits at 55 and a half. So their implied team total actually is a point higher than what this thing sits at here. Uh, So I really think you put all that together and this line 
puts a little bit too much looking back as to what the Chargers have done and not really what they can be and what their underlying numbers suggest their offense really is. I like them getting over this number. I did a study a few years ago, and I updated every year about uh, uh, how teams do in shootout games, where that's where each team scores 24 or more points. And the best mm-hmm. offenses in NFL history, you take a couple of outliers out of the process for, for the best offenses in NFL history. I'm talking offenses scored 500 or more points in the season. Their record in shootout games is just barely over 500. Which, and that's why when you have a team go into a game like this, the Chargers are going to say, we need to go ahead and, and turn this into a shootout. Andy Reid, that's yeah. one of the reasons that in 2019 he had the Chiefs start to run the ball more later in the year because he realized they they were fall, they would fall victim to the same thing. Their record in shootout games was just as bad. There are 500 team chances that he is, or you know, maybe even a little bit worse based on their track record when they get in a shootout contest. So I think, yeah, the Chargers are going to be motivated to say we have to score at least 24, you know, just to get the shootout and then closer to 30 to win that contest. And like you said, they're doing so near the red zone. And they got Eckler involved in the passing game last week. Zero targets yep. in week one. What he catch? Nine passes last week. So Nine. Just, nine, yeah. nine targets, nine catches. Nine, it's so incredible. So you see him. And you got you got Mike Williams thriving in that Michael Thomas role. Joe Lombardi, we loved it. We talk about it all the time when an OC, because he wasn't an OC in New Orleans, but when a new coach takes over, Fran, he comes from this, you know, Team X, and now can he bring what Team X did to Team Y? And it doesn't always play out that way, but Joe Lombardi in just two games really does look like he's making Mike Williams something of a Mike Thomas. He He's making Austin Eckler something of an Alvin Kamara, and you just they have the pieces, right? The Chargers have the pieces to be prime saints right away just like that they can flip a switch they can do it and i think we're seeing that happen right now give me the chargers to score at least 24 points against the chiefs and what's going to be a really really fun game on sunday i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, KC, one more pick a piece. If you could, if you could see, let me, I'm going to bump you out for just one more second. No, you can't see it. If you could see just above my head here, there is a uh, panoramic picture of Camp Randall Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin. I am a very proud Wisconsin graduate. Go Badgers against Notre Dame uh, on Saturday. And so I, I can't I can't go against you with this next one that you've got here because Melvin Gordon's got a place right here in my heart, always will. Melvin Gordon, over 13 and a half receiving yards in this contest. Uh, he's already tallied 17 and 38 receiving yards in the first two games of the season. So he's trending towards that on his track record alone. It gets better when you know the Jets have been abysmal at covering running backs this year. They're, they've allowed they 18 targets to running backs. They've allowed 18 completions for 140 yards. It's the third highest yardage mark to that position, and the yards per target ranks 25th. Merge those trends with uh, just what I, I think Denver's going to be able to, you know, how central he is to their passing game. I know it's a, mm-hmm. they split when they do the carries, when they're doing running carries. He's the pass catching back. They're not giving Javante Williams the pass catching statistics. And I'll guarantee that Denver knows that the, the Jets are not covering the running backs very well. So you're talking 13 and a half receiving yards. I think he's got a very good shot at that given how badly the Jets are covering running backs right now. 
I'm with you there. I will point out that they have played the the Panthers and the Patriots this season, so they've seen a couple of good pass-catching backs in Christian McCaffrey and James White. Go Badgers once again. Uh, But uh, I think that this does, this trend does follow. And even though they've seen those high-end pass-catching backs, they're also just not a particularly great defense right now. And Melvin Gordon uh, proved his chops as a pass-catcher his last year with the Chargers and then carried that over uh, with the Broncos a season ago. So this one really doesn't ask for too much. I've been burned by not asking for too much out of receiving backs over the last couple of weeks so I'm staying away from it myself but I follow the logic in getting Melvin Gordon to 14 receiving yards this week for my last one I'm going to take a little bit of a shot on a plus 125 Vikings to score more than three and a half touchdowns and what I think is going to be a shootout between the Seahawks and the Vikings let's rewind one week uh, KC Seahawks go up against the Tennessee Titans A lot of similarities between what Tennessee wants to do offensively and what Minnesota wants to do offensively. They both got a big bruising back, Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. They both have two alpha receivers, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. They have offenses that use a lot of play action. They have efficient, accurate quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins. And so I think the Vikings can look at what the Titans did in the second half of that game, really getting blitzed by Seattle. And I I don't mean literally blitzed by the defense, but I mean, they were just getting run out of the field, run out of the stadium by Seattle in the first half. And then they got back to their play action game. They end up coming back from a 15 point halftime deficit, forcing overtime and winning that game. And Derrick Henry gets all the uh, credit, which, you know, he he certainly should. He had a 60 yard uh, touchdown run. He had three touchdowns in that second half, but Ryan Tannehill got back to being the Ryan Tannehill we've come to expect from Tennessee completed 16 to 22 passes, 176 yards, eight yards per attempt. A lot of efficiency made some big plays down the field. We saw Julio Jones get going. It all adds up to a blueprint that I think the Vikings can follow. And then you look on the other side of this game. What gives you any confidence that the Vikings are going to slow down Russell Wilson in this passing game? What get, I mean, they have looked bad again this season and we wanted to give Mike Zimmer the benefit of the doubt coming into this year because he is a great defensive coach and we just never see bad defenses from him we saw it last year but it was easy to hand wave it say it was a weird season say every coach is you know allowed to have one bad year and what is his specialty they had a lot of injuries Minnesota did as well on the defensive side of the ball last year so they get those guys back they bring in a couple of reinforcements and it has still just been ugly for this team this season so I don't see why they would suddenly turn it around against Russell Wilson with what that team has done through the first couple of weeks of the season. So I expect the high-scoring game here, and I think the Vikings can keep pace. I actually like the Vikings a little bit catching one and a half at home in this game, but I think it's because of what their offense can do in this one. So I'll take the plus money. It's at plus 125. If it was, if this was, you know, even just plus 105, I'm probably staying away from it. But plus 125 is a juicy enough number for me to say, you know what, the Vikings can find the end zone four times in this one. I think they can keep pace with Seattle. Seattle's going to force them to keep pace and get this game into the 30s. I like the Vikings quite a bit here. Yeah, it's another one of those situations where both these teams are playing defense badly enough to where you think a shootout is necessary. And Mike Zimmer doesn't want to get in a shootout. doesn't have a choice. His, his defense bad, is yeah. just, just that. <laughs> when your defense is that bad, if your defense is that bad and you try to play the, the low-scoring game, you're going to lose. I mean, you have yeah. to get in a shootout in that instance. And the thing is, Seattle is kind of in the same boat. I don't think that they necessarily want to get in shootout games or want, want to get in high-scoring games, but they go vertical. In fact, yeah. DK Metcalf, I did a study for my athletic article that comes out every Monday uh, where I look at the fantasy uh hot fantasy yeah. things went for teams past week and dk metcalf and um 
Lockett. Tyler Lockett, Tyler Lockett, thank you. They both, if you look at their vertical receiving numbers, they're both getting targeted deep a lot, and they're both on a lot of success. Lockett's doing better, and Metcalf's going to catch up. But the point is that they're still doing a ton of vertical passing, and that's something that they were doing early last year, and then they changed their minds and said, we're going to try and play more close to the vest. I don't think that they're in a situation where they can play close to the vest either. So if you get in a shootout contest, four touchdowns is, is very doable. Yeah, Pete Carroll and Mike Zimmer might want to play low-scoring games, both of them. But uh, unless they say, unless they contact like Bill Belichick and uh, Sean Payton, two coaches who are facing off against one another, and say, "Let's just trade our entire teams. We'll give you our fifty-three. <laughs> you give us your fifty-three. I don't think they're going to be playing in very many low-scoring games. The personnel is the personnel, and Minnesota and Seattle are two good offensive teams, two bad defensive teams. I like the Vikings to be able to keep pace and score those four touchdowns, and that. We'll do it for this episode of Best on the Board. We still have our 50% off deal going at The Athletic. If you are not a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash best and get yourself 50% off a one-year subscription to The Athletic. For Casey Joyner, I am Michael Beller. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Happy betting. We'll talk to you soon.